If you would, find in your Bibles tonight Psalm chapter 63. Psalm chapter 63. And there are 11 verses in this chapter, and we're going to go ahead and read through them. And uh, when you find that, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Psalm chapter 63. If you've got it, say amen. amen. This is what it says. It has a, an inscription at the beginning. It says, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Verse 1, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword, they shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Now, I want to, again, mention that the inscription of this psalm is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so I've titled the message tonight, A Good Song in a Bad Place. And I want to give it a subtitle of Eight Lessons from a Wilderness Survivor. You may be seated. A good song in a bad place. Tonight we'll be looking at eight lessons from a wilderness survivor. Now we have before us in this psalm actually a beautiful psalm. And as I said, it was written from a place of difficulty, a very troubling place, a place of hardship and struggles. And yet it is, if you notice, a psalm of confident praise to God. It's a psalm about trusting in God, and, and the psalmist in this psalm is looking to God. David is looking to God, and he's pursuing him with all of his heart. He's believing for God's blessings. He's believing him for power, and he's praising him for his goodness and for his mercies. He talks about the satisfaction that is found in God. How many know there's satisfaction found in God? He talks about the comfort and the security that is in God, and he knows ultimately that his enemies are going to fall and that he is going to rejoice. You know, every believer can know that, that ultimately the enemies are going to fall and we can rejoice in God, and that's a blessed thing. I was reading a little bit about this psalm, and, and uh, J. Vernon McGee points out something that's interesting about it. In the early church, uh, a guy by the name of Chrysostom said that it was ordained and agreed upon by the primitive fathers that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. And in the primitive church, this psalm was sung every morning or every time there was a public gathering. 
So this was a regular psalm among the early church. They loved this psalm. And you can see why when you read it. It's a wonderful psalm of praise. Now, as I said, this talks about the time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. That's the inscription that we have. And let me say again, it was a good, you know, a psalm is a song. It's a good song written from a bad place. David wasn't in an enjoyable place out there in the Judean desert. David was in the wilderness. It was hot. It was nasty out there. It was a dry place. As you can imagine, it was a dangerous place, the wilderness was. It was isolated. And now, there are two occasions in which you might find David in this wilderness. Uh, one of those would be when he was hiding from Saul prior to coming to the throne, and the other would be when Absalom brought a rebellion and tried to steal the kingdom away from David. Two different occasions. Now, there are some who believe that it is related to Saul, and there are others who believe it was related to Absalom. I will say that in the 11th verse, it does David makes mention to himself as the king. So if I was to say, I would maybe lean more towards the side of Absalom. But if you think it's Saul, that's okay too. Because the point here is that in either case, David is a wilderness survivor. In the end, David is going to be a wilderness survivor. That's what happens with David. He's, he's writing this psalm, and it's a good song in a bad place. And in the end, David is going to come through. See, God is going to bring David through the wilderness. He's going to bring David through everything along the way. Now, there are lessons, though, that we can learn from David's time in the wilderness. And so this psalm that we have uh, is a psalm that he wrote from one of those times. So the words that we're reading was written at a hard time in David's life. What we're reading here was literal, but also we can make spiritual application in our own lives today. We're in a pretty nice climate-controlled building. We're not exactly in the Judean desert, but we can still make applications of these things, spiritually speaking. Amen? You know, I was thinking about this, and in case you haven't noticed, life is very unpredictable. You know, from one minute everything's fine and the next minute it's not. It's kind of like when you go out to your car and, and everything was okay the day before and then you come out and you turn the key and it just doesn't work. I've had that happen lots of times, <laughs> believe me. And it's like, okay, everything's fine until it's not. You know, that's just how it works. And life is okay until all of a sudden it's not. One minute things are okay and the next minute everything is spiraling out of control. And some of the things that may happen, you may get bad news in life. Every one of us have gotten bad news at times. Maybe the doctor gives you a bad report. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you've had a, a failed marriage. Maybe a friend betrays you. Someone lets you down. Maybe you've had a loss of a loved one. Uh, perhaps you're experiencing the results of bad decisions in your own life. When David fled from Absalom, those were a result of bad decisions in David's life. Sometimes we have the fruits of our sins that come back and try to harm us. 
And there are any number of things that can happen to us in our lives that can make us feel like we're in that wilderness place. There are things that can happen in our lives that can make us feel like we're in the dry place, in the hard place, in those places of isolation where you feel like there's no hope around, that there's nothing you can do. You feel like there's nothing uh, you, can, uh, you can do to change your circumstances. And every one of us have met those. But I want you to know tonight in this church that you can survive the wilderness. You can survive the wilderness experience and God can bring you through. Just like he brought David through the wilderness, God can bring every one of us through the wilderness. Do you believe that tonight? See, David ultimately is a wilderness survivor. He's in it in this psalm, but he's a survivor. He comes out of it. And so I think it would be good for us tonight to look at this psalm, 63, which is a good psalm in a bad place from a wilderness survivor. And I think there's eight things that we can take away from this psalm. Are we ready? I'm going to try to move through them pretty quickly here tonight. Number one, know your God and keep him at the forefront of your life. Number one, if you're, going to, if you're going to survive the wilderness experience, number one, know your God and keep him at the forefront. Look at verse one again. He says, oh God, thou art my God. The most important thing that you can ever settle in your life is the fact that Jesus Christ is your God. There's nothing more important than to know that God is your God for you to claim him as your own and for him to claim you as his own. There's nothing more important than knowing that it's settled in your heart for all of eternity, that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. There are a lot of people that are trusting in all sorts of things tonight. They're trusting in their, in their money, in their, their fortunes, their fame, their houses, and their cars. But you know that none of these things, when the tragedy strikes, when all of a sudden things aren't okay anymore, none of those things that people are trusting in can help them one single bit. But you know, when you've established first and foremost that God is your God, that Jesus Christ is your Savior, you know that he can take you through when the hard times hit. So number one, if you're going to survive, we need to know that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And David could say in this psalm, he says, oh God, thou art my God. See, David had spent many hours off in the, uh, in the desert places. He had spent many hours out with the sheep and singing songs to God, praising God, prayer and worshiping God. David knew his God. You, you realize that David is the psalmist, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He had spent many years in his younger years singing praises to God by himself, out there singing to the sheep, whether they like it or not, you know. He was praising God, loving God, and David had a fellowship and a relationship with God. And I think that's why he could start this psalm out, even from a bad place, and he could say, oh God, you are my God. If you can't affirm that in your life, then what hope do you have? Jesus, remember, he's, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And if that's not settled inside, then you got some time you need to spend at the altar. Number two, if we want to survive the wilderness experience, we have to pursue God with all our might. Look again at verse one. He says, 
Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Can you start to catch uh, the understanding that David is in pursuit of God? He, first of all, he, he knows who his God is. It's not any of these false gods in the other nations. It's not anything around him. It's not material things. He knows who his God is, and he begins to uh, and continues to be in pursuit of his God. He's longing for his God, and, and he refers to it like the wilderness land where there's no water, and he says, I'm seeking, I'm looking for that satisfaction that I'm going to find in him. And he says, early will I seek you. See, it was the very first thing. It was his waking desire to know God more. David's waking desire, the first thing in the morning, the best thing you can do when you wake up in the morning is hit the word of God. Before you get hit with everything else, start putting your mind to the word of God because it's going to shape the rest of your day. People have all kinds of things for you to do, but you make time if you have to. If you got to get up earlier, get to the word before you go because it's going to change how the rest of your day goes. He says, early will I seek you. And every part of David's being was longing for God. Did you catch that? Listen again. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. He says, my soul and my flesh. He's, he's saying this is a dry and thirsty land, literally, but also spiritually, this is a dry and thirsty land. And he says, every part of me is longing for what only God can provide. Just like it said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. There was something in him that said, I know my God and I've got to know him more. Even in that wilderness place, he wanted to know his God more. He needed his spiritual thirst satisfied. Just like the woman at the well, Jesus said, I'll give you water and you'll never thirst again. That living water. That was the kind of thirst that David had. He wanted the living water that comes from God. See, something else to, to be mindful of is that the desert places can be some of the hardest places to seek God. When the hard times come, they can be some of the hardest places to seek God. But do not let it be a time of neglect of prayer. You know, some people, they respond differently. Some people run right to God immediately, but others, when the hard times come, they withdraw and they get away from the only one that can help them. And when the hard times comes, it needs to not be a time of neglect of prayer, but it needs to be a time where you draw nearer to God. It needs to be the place where you are communing with him more and more. Charles Spurgeon said this, learn from this and do not say I will get into communion with God when I feel better. But long for communion now. It is one of the temptations of the devil to tell you not to pray when you don't feel like praying. Pray twice as much then. That needs to be on our heart at all time, a pursuit of God. Number three, are you still with me? Believe God has the power to meet your needs. Now, let me read verse 1 and 2 to you again in a little bit different emphasis. He says, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power. 
and thy glory, as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Something interesting about this psalm, many psalms, David and the psalm, the psalm writers are asking for help. They're often asking for things, asking for help. The interesting thing about this psalm is he's not asking for anything in this psalm. But he knows that as he's seeking God and pursuing God, though he's not asking for anything, he knows that everything that he has need of will be met in the person of God. So he's, he's saying, I don't have to ask specifically, even though there was lots of things he could have asked for in that wilderness place. Lots of things that he could have been saying, God, I need this, I need that. Can you give me this? Now would be a good time. Don't, don't wait. You know how we do with God. And David was saying, if I seek God, if I seek him first, then all these things that I need will be added unto me. He said, if I'm longing for God, if that's the desire of my heart, he says, I know that God has the power to meet my needs. So if I get close to him, if I seek him, I know that he's got it in his hand. See, David had known the hand of God. You realize that. That's why David could have this kind of a prayer with God. He had known the provision of God. He had known the power of God. He had experienced the blessings of God in his life. And David desired to see the power of God again. That's what he was looking for. He said, I want to see the power of God again. You remember, it was God that gave him the strength to kill the lion and the bear when they came to steal some lambs out of his, out of his flock. You remember that it was God that gave him the strength to come against the Philistine giant who was mocking the armies of Israel. It was God that gave him the strength to take that giant down. It was God that had done it. And so David knew that time and time again, God had met his need. God had provided for him. He knew that time and time again, God had been there. God had been his provision. He says, so I know that as I seek my God, I know that my God has the power to provide the needs that I have. He's saying, I need my God. He's saying, I have seen God move. He said, I have seen the, the hand of God. I have known the hand of God. I've known the power of God. You know, there's a certain uh, uh, amount in my, uh, there's a certain longing in my heart as I think about the way that God has moved in the past. You know, I read old books. I read books that are way, way older, you know, from 1600, 1700. I read books all the time of different people, and I see how God moved in their lives. I see how God moved in the church through ages past. I see God how not even that many years ago, many hundreds and thousands of souls were coming to the Lord. And even still, God is saving souls around the world. He's still working today. But there's something in me that says, God, I have haven't seen it, but oh God, do it again. There's something in me that says, I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but I know you've done it in the past, and I know that you can do it again. Maybe some of you in this place, you have seen it before. Let it be the cry in your heart that says, oh God, do it again. Let it be the cry in your heart. Don't sit by idle and say, well, it happened in the past. I'm just going to wait till the Lord shows up. No, let there be a cry in your heart like David that says, I won't settle until I've seen the hand of God moving again. I won't settle until I know that my God is saving souls, is changing lives, is setting people free, is delivering and changing hearts. I know my God can do it. I've seen him do it in the past. I've heard that he's done it before and I know that he can do it again. 
Let that be a cry in your heart. That was something in David's heart. He said, I've seen it. I've seen you move in me. I've seen you move, and I know that there's more that you can do. Right there in that wilderness place, that was the kind of prayer David was praying. Right there in the hard place, David was praying that prayer. And I pray that that would be something that would begin to develop in each one of us more and more in greater measure. Oh, God, do it again. Oh, God, do it again. I want your Holy Spirit to move yet again. I don't want the spirit of this age. I don't want the wicked spirit of this age. I don't want to be one of those that, that neglect the things of God, that fall away and, and disregard him. I want to be one of those in pursuit of God again. And God has been faithful in the past, and he will continue to be faithful to us today if we cry out to him. What God has done, he will do again. Now, here's something important about the wilderness experience that God can sustain you wherever you are. As a child of God, you're in God's care. You realize that. You're in the hand of God, that God is caring for you. That right there where you are, no matter how difficult the circumstances may get, you are in God's care. And wherever you find yourself, God can sustain you there. Now, Remember the children of Israel in the desert, and God kept them there. He provided manna for them. He provided water for them out of the rock, and that rock was Christ Jesus. You think about how he watched over them and he protected them, how in this passage we're reading tonight that God over and over protected David right there where he was. I think about Elijah that was by the brook Cherith hiding, and God said, go there, and I will feed you with the ravens and provide for you where? There. Right there where Elijah was. You know, if Elijah would have been anywhere else, I wonder sometimes if he would have starved to death. Sometimes I wonder if, if people decide on their own merits that I'm just going to go here or go there or I'm going to float from place to place. And, and it's no wonder that they're starving because they haven't sat down where God put them. When God says, go there and stay there, then you can expect the provisions to come. Then you can expect that God will sustain you. But if you're going to get out and you're going to do your own thing, expect to provide for your own self. Right there... Wherever God puts you, even if it's a hard place, he will sustain you there. I want to read what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, because remember, we're in his care. Verses 6 and 7, he said, are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Not even a bird can fall to the ground without, without God knowing it. We are in God's care, and he will sustain us. Amazing. Number four, if we want to survive the wilderness, if we want to be a wilderness survivor like David, let's listen to someone who's been there. We should praise God for his love and mercy. Look at verses three and four with me. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. 
Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. I love that. Spurgeon once said, to dwell with God is better than life at its best. See, David's experience of God's loving kindness, his grace, and his mercy was so wonderful, he said, it is better than life. He loved it so much. To David, there was nothing more refreshing, nothing more wonderful, nothing more enjoyable, nothing more pleasing than the love of God, not even life itself. And because of this, our praise should be endless. Look again at verse uh, 4. He says, thus will I bless thee while I live. David was saying, as long as I live, I'm going to praise God. (laughs) As long as I live, whether it's in the palace or whether it's in the wilderness, it really doesn't matter because God is worthy to be praised. His love for me is more wonderful, more incredible, more precious than anything I could ever imagine, than anything the world has to offer. It's even better than my own life. It's better than even living. And each one of us in here, we should praise God as long as we live for the goodness, for the love, and for the mercies of God. There should be endless praise in our mouth as we give glory and honor to our Savior God. Hallelujah. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 1, you know it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Can we read that again? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That should be in our hearts at all times. Endless praise. Not only that, but our praise should be in full surrender to God. Did you catch that at verse 4? Watch what he says. I will lift up my, what? Hands in thy name. Now, uh, David might have got kicked out of some churches these days. I don't know. (laughs) Couldn't resist it. Uh, You know, there... When we're lifting our hands, it's an Old Testament uh, posture used in prayer and praise. You see it over and over again. The Bible is full of people lifting their hands, praying, and praising God. It's something that you do. And you know what it is? It's saying, I surrender to you, Lord. It's saying, I am anticipating the receiving of the blessings, those good and perfect gifts that come from above. It's lifting his hands, saying, I surrender to you whatever you have for me, Lord. That's what I want. It's lifting up in prayer. It's lifting up in prayer. It's saying, not my will, but thy will be done. It's lifting hands. If you're not comfortable doing that, that's okay, but get alone with God and lift your hands and thank him and say, I receive whatever you have from me. I yield myself to whatever you have. I want to bless your name, and I don't want to hold back. These hands are your hands, and whatever you have, Lord, I receive it from you. We shouldn't be ashamed to to lift our hands in praise. I'm not saying that you have to do it, but there's nothing wrong with lifting your hands and praising God. There's nothing wrong with that. We shouldn't be ashamed of that. 
because it's our surrender to him. It's just like, it's just like when a little child lifts their hands up to their, to their mom or to their dad. And David is saying that in this. He's saying, Lord, I'm in a wilderness place. He's saying, I, I can't seem to escape uh, this place, but I'm going to praise you anyway. And he's saying, I'm going to lift my hands because it may be that my father in heaven might reach down and lift me up out of this place, of uh, this wilderness place. So never be afraid to lift your hands because God may lift you up. I love that. He was surrendering to God. Now let me say this also by way of this about our surrender to God and continuing to praise him. When you're living in that wilderness experience, and I mentioned it, never neglect prayer. You remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane over in Luke. I don't remember exactly what chapter. But it said that he was in an agony as he was praying. And it said that he prayed more. When Jesus was in an agony, and the Bible says his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood. And he prayed more in his agony. And not only should we pray more when we're in an agony, just like Jesus, but we shouldn't neglect our praise, just like we've been talking about. You remember when Paul and Silas got thrown into jail? They, were, they started singing a good song in a bad place. They were in jail, but they started praying and praising God. They were in jail. Things, things didn't look good, but they were in jail. And at midnight, they began to pray and sing praises to God. I believe that they did their best to lift their hands. I don't know exactly how they were bound, but I believe that in whatever posture of surrender that they can make, they were, they were surrendering and they were praying and praising God. And it was a good song in a bad place. They didn't want to be necessarily in that prison, but they were there and they were going to praise God anyway. And as they began to pray, and praise God. God sent an earthquake and those prison doors that began to rattle and those bands fell off of their hands and feet and the prison doors swung open and God did a miracle because they began to sing and pray and praise God right there. And the greatest miracle of all was the soul of the, of the jailer that was saved through that process. That's the greatest miracle. Not that they got out of jail. But God brought one home who brought a family home. The same one that had beaten them and wounded them was the same one that washed their wounds later on. Beautiful. Because they started singing a good song in a bad place. Are you starting to catch that? A good song in a bad place. So what do we do? We praise him in the good times. We praise him in the bad times. Wherever we are, whether it's a good place or a bad place, we're going to praise him anyway. It doesn't matter where we are. We're going to praise God because he's worthy to be praised. And as we lift our hands, as we surrender, oh, how he might lift us out, just like he did Paul and Silas. As they begin to surrender, oh, how God lifted them out. And didn't he do something wonderful there? Oh, wow. I love it. Number five, if we're going to survive the wilderness... We need to understand that satisfaction is found in God. Look at verse 5. My soul shall be what? What was it? Oh, that's right. You guys are smart. 
<laughs> sometime, Donnie. <laughs> That's my line. He said, my soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. You believers know that there is satisfaction that can only come from God. And he says, my soul shall be satisfied with morrow and fatness. Now, morrow means the best part of the meat. Morrow means the the richest, greasiest, you like greasy, it's the greasy part, it's, that, it's, the, it's the good stuff. It's the barbecued ribs, it's the ribeye steak. Dad's getting hungry already. <laughs> it's the best part of the meat, that's what he's talking about. The marrow, it's the best part, it's the good stuff. We all like the good stuff. I like a good steak, I like good barbecue ribs. I even like Andy's custard now and then. They didn't have that then, but we do. Praise the Lord. And then he says the fatness, and that just means the abundance. So he says, so David is saying, my soul is going to feast on the abundance of the finest, of the richest, of the best parts, of the blessings of God. And as I do, my soul is going to be fully and completely satisfied in him. That's what he's saying. He said, I'm going to be satisfied. The world is, is looking for satisfaction in all sorts of places. They're looking all over the place trying to find something, some sort of pleasure, some sort of peace, some sort of a hope. But there is no hope that can be found outside of Jesus. There's no satisfaction that can be found outside of Jesus. You know, they're, they're looking in the bar room, or they're, they're looking in the bedroom, or they're looking in the lake house, or they're looking in the drug house, but they're never going to find the hope and the life and the joy and the strength that they need till they come and they look in God's house, because that's where they're going to find Jesus Christ, the one who died for their sins to make peace with God through his blood, the one who rose again from the grave victorious over death defeating death and he says all that will come to me I will in no wise cast out in the moment that you come and trust Jesus Christ in his death burial and resurrection that's the moment that God saves you and gives you a new heart and new desires and new hopes and you can be satisfied on the best that God has and that is the person of Jesus Christ amen that's where the satisfaction comes in. Now watch this. There's, there's satisfaction in remembering the works of God. Now look at verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, my soul shall be satisfied. Go down to verse 6. When I remember thee, go down to verse 7, because thou hast been my help. See that progress there? Now let me read them together. My soul shall be satisfied as with the marrow and the fatness, the, the best parts. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. So do you see that? Verse 5, my soul shall be satisfied. Verse 6, when I remember thee. Verse 7, because thou hast been my help. 
and their satisfaction in the remembrance of God. You may be in that howling wilderness tonight, but you can praise God anyway. You can remember the blessings that God has already given to you. You realize that right where you are. You can remember the goodness of God. You can remember your salvation. You can remember the cross and the victory that Jesus gave you. You can remember his promises that he gave you in the word of God. You can remember how he's met your needs in the past and there is satisfaction and blessings and remembering the works of God in your life if God has been good to you there's something of a blessing to dwell on the things that he's done for you if you can't think of anything that God has ever done for you you need to get right with God because when God comes to live inside you know that God has done something So we meditate on the goodness and the mercy of God. We remember those blessings. And what it does, it gives you strength. It's like food. You're you're feasting on these things, the the marrow and the fatness, the good blessings of God. And as you do, it's strength to your soul. And and what it's going to do is give you hope for your future. That's what happens as you're remembering these things. So let me say this. There's, by way of that thought, there's rest in Jesus Did you catch that verse, number six? Look at this. He says, I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. You know, the night is often when your mind is troubled the most, isn't it? That's, you know, that's the time that the enemy wants to pick on you. Everything's silent and you're left to the stillness of the darkness. And your mind, you know, it just wanders and you may not be able to sleep. You may toss and turn, but it doesn't have to be a time of torment for you. And I think that's what David is saying. It doesn't have to be a time of torment. You say, what do you know? Well, what does David know? (laughs) That's That's who's telling the story here by the Holy Spirit. And he says, I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. And what he's saying is you don't have to let those hours be times of torment because you can rest in Jesus Christ. You can rest in the blessings of God. You can rest in the remembrance of the good things that God has done because Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who are laboring and, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You may not be able to sleep, but you can have rest. Rest in Jesus. So I think what he's saying is is don't fill your mind with all the problems and the circumstances that you have going around. He's saying don't fill your mind with the doubts and the fears that want to sneak in right there in the nighttime. You may not understand what's going on in your life if you're in that wilderness place. You may be overwhelmed and you probably can't shake it off. You maybe have tried, but you can remember God. You can begin to think about God. You can choose to praise God. Did you know you can choose to praise God? Paul and Silas chose to praise God. Over and over you see that in the scriptures. There's a choice to be made. And it's a difference between uh, just laying in agony and, and languishing to having rest. Even if you can't sleep, you can have rest in God. Because we can remember those blessings. We can 
praise God. We can remember his goodness, and it brings hope for the future. Let me give you one more scripture on this thought, and then we'll move on. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and he endured a lot, seen a lot, suffered a lot of things. And he says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, and if you're going through something, let these words sink into your heart tonight. Listen, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now listen, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. That was someone that's been there, done that. And that was his words. He says, I'm going to think on these things. And therefore, will I have hope. His mercies are new every morning, and they're still fresh in the evening, as Spurgeon used to say. Every day we have the mercies of God. That's good. Number six, if we want to survive the wilderness, recognize that comfort and security is found in God. Comfort and security. Look at verse 7 and 8. He says, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. The greatest comfort for our present trouble is to remember what God has done in the past. That's what we've been talking about. But the believer has a place of safety in God. That's, what he's, that's the thought that he's giving us here. There's a place of safety in God. He says there in verse 7, he says, you've been my help. God, you've been my help. I think every one of us in here can say, God, you have been my help. Lord, you have been my help. And he says, therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Psalm 121, verses 5 through 7 says this. I love it. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The believer has a place of safety in God. God is our covering. There's comfort and security in knowing that God is watching over us, that the presence of God is hovering over us, that we are underneath the shadow of his wings, that God is, is there for us. He's guarding us. The, the imagery is, is like a mother hen that stretches out her wings over her little babies and protects them when something is coming to harm them. God, in the same way, he stretches out his wings. He, he watches over, he hovers over us with his blessings and his mercy, and he comforts us and he blesses us because he knows our every trouble. He knows right where we are, and he's always watching over his people. You know, I had a thought some time back that big things cast big shadows, right? But there'll never be a problem so big that it can overshadow God's shadow, 
not even the shadow of death. We can rest in the confidence that we have in God beneath his shadow, the shadow of his wings. William Grinnell lived in the 1600s, and he said a, a phrase that I love. One almighty is more than many mighties. One almighty is more than many mighties. I love that, don't you? Now, I thought of this, too, as he's talking about the shadow of his wings. Even in the heat of the wilderness, God may cast his shadow of grace over us to protect us from the burning sun. I thought about the birds in the, in the summertime. You know, they'll go, they'll fly in, in the heat of the summer and they'll get up in one of those tall trees and they'll sit in the limbs. And they're protected from the heat of the sun that's shining on them. And they get up on those limbs and they just sing their little hearts out, don't they? And they don't have a care in the world. They're in those limbs in that shade just enjoying it, just kick back and just singing their little heart out. And you know what? Believers ought to do the same thing. We ought to crawl up in the, in the tree of God's grace and goodness and mercy. And we ought to just enjoy the shade out of the burning heat. We ought to just enjoy that shade. And we ought to just sing our little hearts out and praise God with everything that's within us. Because uh, he's, got us, he's got us covered. We have the blessing of God. We have the protection of God. And we can just climb up in those limbs of blessing and protection and grace grace and joy, and we can just praise God because he's been good. Amen. We don't have to have a care in the world. Hallelujah. I love it. See, there are blessings in fellowship with God as well. Check this out in verse 8. He says, my soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. Now that word followeth, it has the, uh, it, it means to cling to or to adhere. David is saying, I want to be glued to God. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want to be so close to God, I want to be attached to him. I, I want to be, I want adhesive to attach me to God so, so that I can't get far from him. David is saying, I, I follow hard after thee. I want to be glued to you because I know that when I'm close to you, your right hand of blessing is going to hold me up and keep me from falling. That's what he's saying there. Number seven, we want to survive the wilderness. Don't be discouraged by your enemies. Don't be discouraged by your enemies. Look at verses nine and 10. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. That doesn't sound very good. They shall fall by the sword they shall be a portion for foxes. See, David was hiding from people in the wilderness that wanted to kill him. You realize that that's what's going on here. They, they wanted to kill him. David had big problems. I, I, I would say that's a pretty big problem. <laughs> His enemies were out to get him. They wanted him dead. And so he could have gotten angry with God. He could have become bitter, frustrated. He could, have, he could have gone that way. But he knew that in the end, God was going to take care of his enemies. That all those wicked people that rebel against God ultimately will find their destruction in hell. 
and finally in the lake of fire. So David knew in the end, God's got me covered. He could have got angry. He could have got frustrated. He could have looked out at the landscape and said, this is terrible, and and my enemies are going to try to kill me, and God, why are you letting this happen? But this whole psalm has been about praising and pursuing God, hasn't it? It's been, all about, it's been all about God. And here's the thing. We also have a persistent enemy that wants to take us out. It's called the devil, the roaring lion that goes about seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy, but we don't have to become discouraged because of that enemy. We don't have to be frustrated or angry because of that enemy, because our King Jesus has already defeated that enemy at the cross of Calvary. That roaring lion, his fate's already been decided. One of these days, God is going to take that old serpent, and he's going to cast him off into the lake of fire, and there's going to be no more enemies. Why? Because the victory's already been won at the cross of Calvary. Jesus went to the cross. He broke the power of sin and death. He rose again from the grave. And the moment that he did, all of our enemies are defeated. The moment that we trust Christ, they're under his feet. And one day they're going to be kicked off into the lake of fire. And that's going to be the last of them. So in the end, what am I saying? In the end, we win. In the end, we win. David says, why should I be getting upset about it? Why should I be worried about what's going on in the world? Surely they are in slippery places. In just a moment, they could step through and they're into the eternal fires of hell. Why should I worry about this when I can have the safety and the peace and the security and the confidence that I have in King Jesus because all these enemies have already been defeated. All these enemies, it's already decided where they're going to go and in the end, I know that I win because Jesus already won. Praise God. Sounds good to me. Sound good to you? Hallelujah. One more. Number eight. Remember the wilderness is not permanent. Wilderness is not permanent. If you want to survive the wilderness, take it from the wilderness survivor, David. If you want to survive the wilderness, remember that that wilderness is not permanent. Remember the old song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are weighed up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. (laughs) We got somewhere we're going, and the wilderness is not permanent. David was saying, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Look at verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. That that word sweareth means it places their allegiance and their trust. Shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. That's what we were talking about. The father of lies, one of these days, is going to be kicked off into the lake of fire. As Terry Wilkins used to say, that dirty, rotten outfit. (laughs) 
His end is settled. But David says, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. He said, I don't have to worry about it. I may be in the wilderness, but I'm coming out. I may be in a place that's troubling me right now, but I'm coming out of that place. I'm not going to live here forever. I'm coming out of that wilderness because my God is going to bring me out of that wilderness. He says, I'm going to come out. I may have enemies, and they're coming day after day, and they want to take my life. But let me tell you something. I know it's going to be all right because I'm resting in Jesus. I'm resting in the comfort and the blessings and the mercy and the grace that he gives. I know I'm coming out because my God is going to take me out. I can't get there on my own, but I know God can get me there by his power, by his hand. He's going to get me to the other side. The wilderness is not going to last forever. You may be there tonight. It's not going to last forever. The believers are going to rejoice. God is going to bring us out. I know it's troubled, but the king shall rejoice in God. See, he says, everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. And David says, the enemy is going down. The enemy is going down. But everyone that's with the king is going up. The blessings of the king are going to be on those that are with the king. He says, when the battle is over, they're going to share my glory. Now, I want you to think about that. Someday, the king of kings and lord of lords is going to come on the clouds of glory. And all those enemies are going to be destroyed by the brightness of his coming and the sword of his mouth. And we're coming with him. The church is going to be with him. The king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to put down the enemies. And he's going to set up his kingdom. And we're going to rule and reign with him. And the king shall rejoice and God and all those that swear by him shall glory. This wilderness is going to be turned into a paradise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love it. We win. That's it. We win. I love that. The king shall rejoice in God. So, what does that bring us to? I'm going to wrap this up because you guys say, okay, preacher, it's time to land this plane. In the meantime, what? Sing a good song in a bad place. That's what David did. Sing a good song in a bad place. The wilderness is a hard place. Some of you know that very well. Some of you watching online, you may know that very well. But Jesus is going to keep you safe in troubled times. He's going to watch over you. He's going to, he's going to keep you. He's going to watch over you. But what we've got to do is fix our eyes on him and settle in our heart that we're going to trust him to do it. That's, that's what we've got to do. We've got to settle in our heart that God is going to take care of us, that, that our Lord is going to take care of us. I, I read a story about a businessman who was in the wool business, and he went to spend the evening with a shepherd out on a Texas prairie. And he talks about how in the night that the coyotes begin to howl and pierce through the night. And when they did, he said that, 
that the dogs, you know, the shepherd's dogs began to growl, and they got up, and they started looking out into the darkness. And uh, he said he began to hear the sheep begin to move around a little bit because they were getting nervous. He said the shepherd went over, and he grabbed a couple logs, and he threw it into the fire. And when he did, the flame shot up. And he looked out. The guy said he looks out there, and he sees thousands of little eyes. And he realizes that those little lights that he was seeing was the eyes of the sheep reflecting on the fire. And he realized something amazing in that moment. He said that all of those sheep were not looking out into the darkness where the trouble was, but they were looking in to the shepherd where their protection was. And he said, I couldn't help but think of the verse in Hebrews chapter 12 that says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so that's my words to you tonight. You may be hearing the howl of the enemy. And you can go out and nervous, you know, in, in fear and worry, and you can look out into that darkness and you can't do anything about it. Or you could turn around and look at the light, at Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, who will be your protection because he can do something about it. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And let him do what only he can do. If you're going to make it through the troubled land, it's going to be by putting your eyes on Jesus. So as I bring this to a conclusion, I just want to give you those eight things for the wilderness survivor. Number one, know your God and keep him at the forefront. Number two, pursue God with all your might. Number three, believe God has the power to meet your needs. Number four, praise God for his love and mercy. Number five, understand that satisfaction is found in God. Number six, recognize comfort and security is found in God. Number seven, don't be discouraged by your enemies. And number eight, remember the wilderness is not permanent. I hope the Lord has spoken to you tonight. I believe that there are some people that are feeling the wilderness experience to some degree. And if you'll take this message from a wilderness survivor, I believe that you'll be helped. If you'll put these things to work in your life, if you'll, if you'll take these things, take this psalm and go home and read it tonight. Let it be the psalm in the morning that you read like the early church read it. Let it be the one that you read and meditate on its words and allow God to speak to your heart. We're going to have a song tonight and give an invitation. And if you have a need, you can bring that down to these altars. You can pray right where you are. God can hear you there. God can even hear you at home watching on the live stream. You can pray there too or watching some other time. His ear is open to a heart that's crying out to him. If you have a need, you can take it to him, and God can do incredible things. Will you stand with me tonight?
we'll have the song. <laughs>